Welcome to the Grace Life Church podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. you have your Bibles, I want to say, um, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We're going to be working through uh, the Lord's Prayer again together. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll be. And while you're turning there, um, I do want to say again, just a word of welcome uh, to any of our guests with us this morning. We're so delighted that you're here and that you chose to worship with us. Um, this morning, um, again, my name is Parker. I'm the lead pastor here, but um, we're we're right in the middle of a series. Um, we're right in the middle of a of a series that we will kind of launch out of this uh, into working what will be the normal rhythm of the life of our church. We'll be just working through books of the Bible, um, but this is kind of a short series that we're working through the Lord's Prayer together. But we'll start, Lord willing, working our way through the Book of Philippians. Uh, probably sometime mid-February, um, and we'll, we'll start that very soon. But we're working through this just highlight of uh, a very familiar um, passage of Scripture found in Matthew 6, and um, we're going to build off of last week. If you remember last week, uh, we introduced these themes of hope and this theme of mission. Hope that we have, we're stuck in the middle, as we said last week, of, of two Advents, uh, the coming of Christ Uh, into the world to rescue sinners and ushering in a new exodus through His Son, a better exodus. And now we're living here on this planet waiting on the second advent that one day the sky will split, Jesus will return and bring about His final deliverance and that our world is filled with darkness until then, until Christ establishes His final reign. But we also know that we too are filled with darkness and we still have a work of redemption that the Lord is sanctifying us. And so when we pray to that end that our Father and we say that we have a hope in Christ, God, would you not only bring about a cleansing of this world, but would you continually cleanse me and sanctify me? It also points us to our mission is that we are working to that end that we can't just pray a certain way, but Jesus invites us not to just pray this way, but to live this way in light of his word and in light of his mission that we are going into the harvest, that we go and make disciples as the father has sent Christ. And so he is now sending us into the world. And so the invitation for us is not just merely pray a prayer. But to pray as God is our Father is not just about intimacy, but about an invitation into God's story and into His kingdom building. And so we say, God, would you come? Would your will be done in our lives and on this earth as it is in heaven? And so we pray to that end and calling God our Father and we cling to this new exodus, this hope of Christ in the second coming calling God our Father that we agree and ask that we too will be like an apprentice son and we would be about His kingdom causes in the world. And so we're going to continue to develop that this morning. It really is essentially kind of a continuation of the argument from last week. And so if you would, I would invite you to stand as we read uh, Matthew chapter 6 out of the honor and reverence of the reading of God's Word I'm going to read for us our entire text is the Lord's Prayer. It's Matthew 6, verses 15 or 5 through 14. But I'm going to read 
in context, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10, and that will set the stage of where we're going this morning. Jesus says, it says, And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, would you say amen this morning? Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you give us eyes to see? By your spirit, would you illumine the truth of this text? And would you speak to your servants? Father, would Jesus go before us and would he make a way? For he is the way, the truth, and the life. And may we be changed not only in the hearing of your word, but in receiving and believing it in faith. May we be transformed by your Holy Spirit and leave here changed this morning. Father, we love you, but help us to love you more in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, amen. Before I get too far, you can be seated this morning. I want to highlight a book if you're interested. Um, I don't have the book with me in print form right now. Lord willing, I'll have all my books here today or tomorrow. Um, But uh, a book called From Eden to the New Jerusalem by T. Desmond Alexander. It's a great read. It's not particularly just a super easy read, but it is, um, it is, um, it's, 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 it's obtainable. And uh, it is a great read, but a lot of the content from that walking through this biblical theology uh, are, are very much arguments that T. Desmond Alexander makes in that book, um, From Eden to, Genu- to the New Jerusalem. But the idea this morning of your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that heaven and earth, and we're asking God for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, is a literal kingdom. It's not just some fantasy. It's not just some wishful thinking, but it is a literal kingdom, an interlocking of two worlds, that throughout the scripture, what you see is you have heaven and earth are seen as two interlocking worlds. They were intended to have their harmony together, that in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. We tend to think that heaven is the place where God dwells and God's future purposes now await in heaven. And earth is where, well, that's where humanity dwells. But the distinction hasn't always been that way in the biblical order. There's intended to be in the scripture an intended harmony between heaven and earth that Heaven would not just be the place where God dwells and earth just be the place where humanity dwells. No, the biblical narrative points toward this union of heaven and earth, the harmony of heaven and earth. In fact, the biblical hope is that heaven and earth will be united again and together again. That's why when you read the final chapter of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, you see this new city. This new Jerusalem coming down from the heavens and and dwelling on the earth. And this earth is finally and fully restored. That the heavens and the earth, these two aspects that we seem so often as distinct realms. One where God is and one where we are. The final culmination will be that they will all be together again. And that God will be with his people and that we will be with our God. And so I want to walk us through 
really what's a biblical theology, just walking through the meta narrative and showing you the, the turns and the hope that we have with that. I want to point to you, for point number one, is that this cosmic temple, the author of Genesis seems to be building towards this idea that God has made for himself a temple. And that temple is this earth. It is the earth that God has made, the space in which God will rule and his fullness is to be worshipped completely. That's why you get this glimpse in Isaiah 6 that the angels are singing to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Psalm 78 says, he built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. And the author of Genesis is painting this picture that God has made for himself a temple. And when you read the Genesis account of the created order, it is filled with language of, of, of modern day temple ritual, if you will. And the author is, is painting forth this notion that God has established himself a temple. It's a temple creation account. Even other ancient Near East texts that archaeologists have found and dug and have found and see that this same order is found across, uh, across ethnic lines or across religious lines that there is a temple creation that's being displayed. Then these seven stages, if you will, of creating a temple corresponding with the seven days of creation. And the earth was to be God's divine resting place, his residence, a place for him to dwell and to coexist with man. That's why in Genesis 3.8, it describes the Lord walking in the midst of the garden. God is here on earth. God is dwelling in the temple that he has made. And that's why in Genesis 2, talks about that God placed Adam in the garden so that he could cultivate and he could keep the garden, that he, is, that he is to be basically a worship leader for the world. He's to be a priest and he's to serve God's word and protect the temple from any unclean things. He's, he's to what? To protect or to keep it from defilement. And that's why when the fall happens and Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, it wasn't Adam gardening, garden, the garden city anymore. There were two cherubims that were there to prevent them from coming back into the garden city. This is temple language. And the context that's seen is that there is a good creation created by a good God, and God is dwelling in harmony with that creation. And God rests on the seventh day to dwell, to make his home in that good creation, in his temple that he has made so that all people will worship God, Yahweh, because he is worthy of worship. And as a custom and as God did, gods would make their something they would place in the center of their temple so that anyone who would look to say, what God does this temple belong to? They would place an image of themselves in the middle of the temple so that if anyone were to pass by and they would say, well, what God does this belong to? They could look in the center and they could see the image of the God of whom it was to reflect. And so God creates man in his image in that way. 
So that when people wonder, who is this God? What is he like? That they could look to the image bearer and they could say, that is whose temple this belongs to. And God has made the earth to be his place of worship, to be his place that he is to be the center of the affection of the hearts of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that people could look to the image And they could say that is to be a reflection of what our Heavenly Father is like. That was the intended order. Heaven and earth living in harmony. That's the cosmic temple. That this earth was to be a temple in which God was to be fully worshipped, celebrated, adorned, honored, given full worth and praise because he is Yahweh in this cosmic temple that he made what we see is there was also a cosmic fall that heaven and earth in the midst of the fall the image of God the the harmony that God intended with God and man was totally shattered when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord in the garden city in the temple that God made Essentially, they were saying, I don't want the vocation of a priest. I don't want to be your child. I don't want to be like you and made in your image. And as a result, they were removed from the Garden City and separated from God. And that separation is that tension that we feel that heaven and earth are no longer in harmony. They are now separated. There's now a chasm. There's now separation between God and man. And the biblical hope of all the world from Genesis 3 to Revelation 21 is that that restoration would come again. And that's why the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2, it says, for the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. That the biblical hope is that God and man will be united again. That heaven and earth will find harmony again. That's the quest of the Bible. That God doesn't give up on humanity when they have failed, but does make certain provisions for them to meet with Him. Forget this, heaven and earth to meet again. Heaven where God is, earth where man is. He makes provisions for them to meet again. He does that as we've seen previously before through atonement and through special arrangements that He's made. But you see this unfolded, if you will, through point number three, this cosmic story that then ushers forth. And ultimately that story is finding its final fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. But what were the arrangements that God gave? What were the provisions that God made that heaven and earth could have harmony again, that heaven and earth could meet together again? Well, the first one that you see is that of the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 19, God establishes a covenant with Israel. He calls them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Just like Adam, just like Eve were to be priests of the Lord, He now calls Israel a son and also calls them a priest. And they were to be priest kings. They were fulfilling the role that God had given to Adam and Eve. But how was it they were going to dwell with God again? God commissions them to build a special tent that is a tabernacle. And the whole second half of the book of Exodus spends a great deal of detail of what it means to to build this tabernacle, of instructions of what it's like. 
And what happens is when this tabernacle is built in Exodus chapter 40, is that God comes and dwells with his people in the tabernacle. It's a symbol of God's presence with his people again. In Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in order, you know this, in order for mankind to come into the presence of God, they must be clean. And there's this outer court and this inner court and the holy place and the most holy place. And the priests would come in, they would cleanse themselves and they would go and they would make sacrifice and atone for their sin and they would atone for the sin of the people. And that atonement, that making peace was heaven and earth coming together again in harmony. And so Israel would travel around and everywhere they went, the first thing they would do is they would erect this tabernacle. And they would want to see heaven and earth come together again through sacrifice and atonement. They wanted God to be in their midst. And then that ushers into, secondly, point B, is the temple. That David wants to erect a house for the Lord. And that temple is a permanent structure where the tabernacle was portable. The temple now is to be a permanent dwelling place for the Lord to be with his people. So the same language is used in 1 Kings chapter 8. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not minister because of the clouds, just like Moses couldn't in Exodus chapter 40. And the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. This permanent temple, this permanent dwelling place, again, heaven and earth would collide when the priest would go in once a year on Yom Kippur and he would make atonement for his sin and for the sin of the people. Year after year, he would do this. You would see little glimpses of heaven and earth colliding. This comes to point three, the destruction and the hope of Israel. For 400 years, their, their hope and their righteous king, some evil, some good, some bad, in Jerusalem, the temple would not survive. Eventually, the temple would be destroyed. It would be taken over. It would be seized, and it would be torn down by the Babylonians. And that longed for, point D, the glory of God to return. And the Jewish hope was that God would come and his presence would come and return, and they would be restored to God, that they longed that God would come back and fill his temple again. They were now under, living in this time in Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, is that Rome was seen to be a curse towards them. Herod and his empire was a joke. They wanted God to come and reign. And all they knew is that there was this longing of the prophets that one day God would come and that this hope would come, His glory would descend, that heaven and earth would meet again. The prophet Ezekiel says that Yahweh Himself will come and He will be a shepherd to the people of Israel. Zacharias hoped, Zechariah hoped that Yahweh will come and all His saints will be with Him. Malachi prophesies with just a tinge of warning as well that the Lord who you seek will suddenly come into His temple. And Isaiah longed for this, that there will be a highway in the wilderness. The valleys and the, and the mountains will be flattened and the glory of the Lord will reveal. And Zion would hear that here is your God. 
And the hope of the people of Israel is that one day they would actually see this take place. They would see heaven on earth. They would see God dwell again with his people. And then Ezra and Nehemiah come at the end of the captivity. And they are, the captives are brought back to, the, to Jerusalem and they're there to rebuild the temple. And they erect this temple again and they wait for God to come and restore his glory. And they wait for the glory of God to come and descend on the temple like he's done before. And all the hope of Israel will be restored. And they build this temple and they wait for the glory of God to come down. And they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait. And Haggai leaves them with this message that the glory of the Lord will come one day and he will fill the temple and the house of this house will be greater than the house of the former house. And Israel is waiting, longing for their hope to come. 400 years of silence. And the glory of the Lord has not descended on his temple. Heaven and earth has not collided again. And the main point that I'm making this morning is that God would come and God was working on much of a larger scale than just ethnic Israel. They had built the temple and the glory of the Lord did not come and dwell on that temple because God was working on a grander scale. Because God would come and He would reunite heaven and earth through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And all who place their faith in Jesus would receive the atonement and peace of God and heaven and earth would be in harmony together because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And heaven and earth would find its harmony again and peace through Christ. Turn your Bibles to John 2. And while you're turning there, think about the disciples. How they even had to grow in this understanding in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And so when they had come together, they said to Jesus, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Even the disciples were longing for this day, for the glory of the Lord to appear and for heaven and earth to be united again. And no one could make sense of what was actually taking place, waiting on this temple to be restored. Some still waiting on the temple and the glory of the Lord to descend as is the hope of today, even of ethnic Israel. But in John chapter 2, there's this story about the religious leaders coming to Jesus and they get upset with Jesus because he makes, he makes a, a bold statement about the temple. And he's trying to help them understand that the temple is not something that's made by human hands or flesh and blood, that the temple is found in him. Look at verse 18 through 22. And so the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us these, to show us for these, doing these things? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said to them, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. 
When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said these things. They believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken to them. Jesus understands the hope of the people of Israel that God's presence would dwell in the temple and with among his people. Jesus is proclaiming to the Jews at that day. He says, listen, that prophecy has been fulfilled. God's glory is now resting in me. I am the temple and God has dwelled in me and the peace that you're looking for is found in my work. It's found in my flesh. And Jesus goes, he says, so you eat my flesh, you drink my blood, you be a part of me. You're united with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's because the final point of this point here, sub point, is that Jesus is the better temple and that he is the better tabernacle. Turn back one chapter from John 2 to John 1. Look at how John begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Look at verse 9. The true light... The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to that which was his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God not who were born of the flesh or the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt. That is, tabernacled. That is, abided with. That is, came to rest among us. And we have seen His glory Glory as one of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John sees and John knows and John wants us to know that Jesus has restored heaven and earth together. That he is the temple, that he is the better priest, that he is the better mediator between God and man. And this temple won't require a once a year sacrifice like before where the blood of bulls and goats would come in. And the book of Hebrews says, for the blood of bulls and goats cannot completely atone for sin. But Christ, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, brings to us a full and complete atonement. And now today, you don't need an earthly priest to make atonement or to mediate for your sins. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. No, you need Christ. He is the greater prophet. He is the better priest. He is the great high priest. He is the king and he is our brother and he is our savior. And he is our great high priest who makes atonement once and for all and that he has restored. He has reconciled heaven and earth. He has brought harmony between heaven and earth, and he has redeemed us. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, I want you to pray this way. I want you to pray, God, your kingdom come. 
And Jesus is pointing to his disciples. He says, heaven and earth, they're on a collision course again. God and man are about to be restored together through my work on the cross. And so disciples, I want you to pray to that end. That I would achieve everything that the Father has given me to achieve. That I would accomplish the will of Him who sent me. And disciples, when you pray to that end, you get to be a part of that kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's why when you see Jesus on earth, he's going around and he's touching people. He's bringing restoration. These little pockets of heaven on earth, if you will. These places of once were impure, Jesus touches them and all the impurities go away. And he brings purity and he brings perfection. He's interacting with things that are unclean. And the religious leaders, it drove them crazy. He's going to these unclean. He's going to the sinners. He's going to these defiled people. And people were saying, well, if you touch something that's that's defiled, then you'll become defiled like that. And Jesus is going and he's touching people and he's cleansing them and he's healing them and he's bringing about restoration and 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 he's interacting with these people and their impurities aren't coming onto him. No, his perfection is is transferred onto them and he's making them new. He's restoring them. It is heaven on earth earth. And Jesus says, pray that that would happen. Pray that that would come, that this perfection was applied to them and their brokenness was restored. Heaven was coming to earth. And so Jesus would say, go, your sins are forgiven. Go and you're cleansed. Your sins have been atoned for. The kingdom of God is here. No, heaven literally has collided with earth again. And he goes to his disciples and turns to them and says, and he says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we join God on that mission in the world to be sent in the Father's work and the Father's cause. And so Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And brings us to point number four, this cosmic restoration that the atonement of Christ would go far beyond ethnic Israel, but would be for a spiritual Israel through Christ to all who place their faith in Jesus and receive the atoning work and restoration of Christ that he brings, they will receive full atonement. Look at John 1, verse 11 through 13. He came to that which was his own, that is the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. It's not just ethnic, there's a spiritual Israel. It's in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of man, nor the will of flesh, but of God. And what matters this morning is not who your parents were or what your earthly status is or what your ethnic ties are, but have you entered in Christ, have you entered the door who is Christ and the way of salvation and peace with God that is found in Jesus Christ? He is the door. He is the means of our redemption. He is the means of our reconciliation. He is the means and the only way by which man must be saved is through Jesus Christ. He is our redemptor. 
And the scripture says that it is for all. It is for all and that all is quantified as it always is quantified in scripture. It's quantified in John 1, it's quantified in John 3, it's quantified in John 6, it's quantified in John 8, it's quantified in John 11, it's quantified in John 12, it's quantified in John 14, it's quantified in John 17, and it's quantified all throughout the Scripture. It belongs to all who place their faith in Jesus Christ. It belongs to all who receive Him who believe in His name. He gave the right. It belongs to all for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save it. But whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. John 3, 17. And I say this to say this, God loving you is not the same as God saving you. God merely loving you and showing His love because you're a creation of Him is not the same as God redeeming you and saving you. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you know not the true love of God. You know not the salvation of God. You know not about the redemption of God. You know not about the reconciliation of God. You know not about the atonement of God. You know not about the person of God because you know not His Son, Jesus Christ. And if all you cling to is that God must love all and that all is never quantified, you'll be surprised on Judgment Day. You'll be shocked on Judgment Day. To know that God can lovingly and justly condemn sinners. God can lovingly, justly, and uphold His righteousness and demand holiness because of who He is. We don't just need to know the blanket love of God. We need to know the personal, redemptive love of God through Jesus Christ. We don't just merely need a God to love us and remain in the heavens. We need a God to save us. We need a God who would make atonement for us, who will redeem us. An unrepentant person in this room who maybe just thinks, I know that God will love me because I feel that He will just love me. He has to love me. I beg of you this morning, do not stop at just the knowledge of God's love. The demons believe and shudder. Don't just look through the fog of an offer of salvation and mistakenly think, well, I just must be included in that. No, beloved, the call of the gospel is that you would repent and you would believe the gospel. The call of the gospel is to come to Christ, not to just be content with just this superficial Love, but to know God's saving love through Christ. To know and to look to Jesus. And when Jesus says that, Father, it is finished, was the work on the cross. And that work on the cross was God redeeming your sinfulness 
and giving to you what you did not deserve, namely righteousness, and God saving you and atoning you and giving to you new life, not just offering you something. He gave His Son to save you that we might repent and believe the gospel to know His atonement, His restoration, to know His peace, to know that heaven and earth have come together in harmony again in Christ. And to those, all of those who receive Him, who believe in His name, heaven and earth collide through Christ and the peace of God, the rest of heaven in this chaotic world comes and reigns in your heart and comes to rest in your heart as well. Heaven meets earth. And that's why the Apostle Paul says the peace of God is now in our hearts through Jesus Christ. Do you know that peace? Do you know the redemptive peace that only Christ can bring? Through saving you. Not just loving you because He created you, but loving you because you're a child of God. Loving you because you've repented and believed the gospel. That you've believed Him, that you've received Him, and now He's given you the right to become the children of God. Which leads us to point number five, and we'll close this morning, to cosmic implications. So what about you today? Your kingdom come, your will be done, and here we are, living in a world that's filled with injustice, filled with poverty, filled with brokenness, filled with defilement, filled with sin, filled with death, filled with calamity. And we pray to our Father, says, Father, would your kingdom come? And it's a prayer that we would begin to see the world as God sees the world. That we would begin to love this world as God, yes, does love this world. And that we would also grieve just as God grieves. And to see this created world and its battled and sin-scarred state. Beloved, this is the heart of God. To pray your kingdom come is to align our hearts with the gospel. To see our heart in Jesus is what led him to the cross that this world he loves so much. And it's broken. It's broken to the point that now the Son of God must give his life and die as a ransom. That's how broken this world is. And when we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, we acknowledge, yes, I love the world. I want the world to be saved, but the world is so broken. And the only way that they'll ever know restoration is if they put their faith in Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of us that we would, that we would preach the gospel, that our hearts would break at the brokenness around us. And when they say they keep looking in all the same places and they keep trying to find hope in the things of this world or in this thing or this thing or maybe they can get another thing or they can get more stuff or maybe if they had more money or if they had another spouse or if they had another something or they had a different job, if they had the right pill, if they had the right jug and they're looking for hope in all the wrong places and our hearts break for them because they'll never find it there. 
The only place we can find hope is in Christ. And so, God, we say, would your kingdom come, your will be done. God, would the gospel go forth? And would our hearts break to see people without the gospel and want to give the gospel to them, that we too would be like Adam and that we too would be like Israel to be a king priest. And we'll fail if we live in the flesh like Adam did. We'll fail if we live in the flesh like Israel did. And so we say, God, help me live by the Spirit. Help me live by the Spirit of Christ, who was the better Adam, who was the better Israel, who was the better high priest. And may I be too a priest of God. May I point people to the one they can find hope in. May I point people to their Savior. That's what Peter calls our attention to in 1 Peter chapter 2. You can turn there real quickly. It'll be on the screen. It says, and, and, and you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood that's to lead people in the worship of Yahweh and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. So the honor is for him who believes. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders had rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Look at verse 9. But you, you, the shock of this is that Peter was writing to Gentiles. You, the shock of this, the church, you, the shock of this, believer in Christ, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, and that's the understatement of the year, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. Do you remember that day, Christian? Do you remember when you had not mercy, when you had not grace, when you had the wrath of God remaining on you because of your unbelief? Do you remember that day? You had not received mercy. And if you were to stand before God on that day, you would have been justly condemned. Once you had not received mercy... But now, now, you have received the mercy of God. That's good news. And we pray to that in that God's kingdom would come. That God's kingdom would come on earth and that we live. That God's kingdom would come. And God's kingdom coming, beloved, looks similar to God's church going into the world and making disciples. I'll say that again. God's kingdom coming looks like his church going and making disciples. He says, I have sent you. I have sent you to go 
to be little pockets of heaven on earth and to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven and that God's kingdom would collide with earth again and to get busy as followers of Jesus, as God's temple now, bringing pockets of heaven on earth, to bring restoration and the perfection of heaven on earth through your interactions with people, that you would love like Jesus loved, that you would serve like Jesus served, that you would forgive like Jesus has forgiven you, that you would bring hope to others, that the hope that Jesus has give to you, that you would point people to your Savior, that you would help them to see, yes, the love of God, but the truth that God will also judge them, but he desires that they repent and believe the gospel and that we would see heaven and earth collide again on the cross of Christ. And we would say, look there, That is where you find redemption. That is where brokenness is restored. That is where we find our hope. That is where we find our Savior. And we go because we aren't just kingdom bearers. Yes, we have been restored through Christ, but we are also kingdom bearers. We are also kingdom bringers. God ushering his kingdom in this world through Christ and we go and we make disciples. And one day, beloved, the final hope that we have, one day, beloved, as Revelation 21 says to us, one day, beloved, the city of God will come down and it will fill this earth and all of our longings, all of our hope that we long for in Christ will finally and fully be restored. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes Every sad thing will be untrue. And all of our pain, all of our heartache, all of our troubles and our struggles of this world will be banished and will be with Jesus. And heaven and earth will be together finally and fully restored. Heaven and earth will be in harmony for all of eternity. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church podcast.